Amen. All right. If you, um, if you have one of the student books, uh, if you want to open that up, and I'm just going to run through real quick how this works. Uh, we're going to turn to page five, first of all. And um, the first lesson is about Christmas, and I uh, figured that that time has passed a little bit. Um, so we are, we're starting with the big story. It says lesson 1.1 in the corner, page five. Um, now today... In the adult class, we will be going through page five uh, through seven, five through seven, and so there's a few fill-in-the-blanks there, which I'll be giving you. Uh, There's also uh, parts where there's questions, so uh, where you can fill out notes as we talk, or you can fill them out later when you get home if you want to go through some of the questions and fill them out. Uh, There's notes at the bottom. This is... The point of this is not for me. Uh, it is for you. That's why there's things for you to take from here and do that. So if, if while I'm talking, you want to uh, fill in some of those, if you want to take them home and do it, that's fine. If there's an actual blank, I will give you a fill in the blank. There's not too many of them. If there's multiple lines, that means that that's something that you can uh, write about on your own. So that's what's in pages five through seven at the top there. Now at the bottom here of pages six and seven, You'll see it says Monday through Friday, and this is uh, a personal devotion that you can do, or you can make it a family devotion. Uh, It gives you a few scriptures, uh, it gives you a thought, a few scriptures, and then a couple questions for reflection. So you can utilize that every day, and it goes along with what we're talking about this whole month, the theme of it. So you can utilize that for yourself uh, to, to help you with personal devotion, or you can utilize it with your family. If you turn to page 8, this is the last page of this week's lesson, page 8. And it is an overview of what everybody's doing, okay? So at the top, it gives uh, the big story, God's divine plan. That's what we're going to be talking about. And then right here where it says children, that's what all the children are are doing today. Um, So that's their memory verse. Uh, These are some of the questions they're answering. How are we part of creation? How can you understand God's plan for your life? How can I find God's plan for my life? So our kids are talking about that right now. Well, not right now, here in a few minutes in Sunday school. And then if you have a young person, uh, the youth part is down here. They will have a discussion about purpose and what God can do in their life. So this lets you know what your kids are doing. Uh, Hopefully you know what you've learned in adult class as well. Uh, if you have kids or grandkids, then you can utilize some of these things uh, if you want for that purpose. Uh, have conversations in the week. Utilize the personal devotions yourself or with your family. And, uh, of course, I read the, the kids one, so we're talking about God's plan for my life. It's a good discussion starter. Uh, the, the foundation has sort of been laid already where you can begin to discuss with your kid, hey, what would you learn in Sunday school? Let's talk about that a little bit. And, you know... Uh, <laughs> It's always good when you know what they're supposed to have learned. You ever ask your kids on the way home from church and and you're like, okay, now let's figure out what this story is supposed to be. (laughs) And you finally figure it out. It's a long journey uh, trying to figure out what the story was supposed to be. But this way you at least know uh, what they're supposed to have learned and you can utilize these uh, throughout the week. So it's called the Discipleship Project because discipleship is more than a Sunday school lesson. Uh, Discipleship is a way of life. And so it gives you tools for every single day that you can utilize in some form or some fashion. Um, Even if you see a kid acting up, you can say, hey, didn't you learn in Sunday school God's got a better plan than you destroying the bathroom stall? See, there you go. Anyone can use it. So so that's how the book works. And so there's a few pages each week that we fill out. You can 
fill in the blank. You can uh, uh, take notes there. And uh, I believe that this is going to be uh, beneficial for us. Uh, I, mentioned, I mentioned Wednesday night uh, in passing, uh, this past Wednesday night. Things really don't happen by accident a whole lot. <laughs> I mean, some things happen by accident. But a lot of good things don't usually happen by accident. We have to be intentional about things. I'm not going to become a disciple accidentally. I'm not going to get in the, in, in the way of discipleship, which is every day doing some of these things, unless I'm intentional about it. And so we're trying to be intentional uh, in what we do and how we live for the Lord as well. I want to be intentional about that. Amen? <laughs> You're probably not going to accidentally make it to heaven. We'll just put it that way. Anyway, all right, enough of that. Let's, that's not in the notes, so we, we better get in the notes today. Uh, so today... Uh, we do, it is, it, how's everything looking up there at the top? It's looking thumbs up. Okay, we got two thumbs up. That's great. Okay, we do have a video to intro uh, what we're going to be talking about this month. So if they want to go ahead and play that video for us. Probably have to go up. There we go. You know, when you jump into the middle of a story, or you pull book number three off the shelf and it's really a series of six books, you begin reading, you're probably gonna find yourself confused and lacking the complete understanding of what's really going on. What's the plot, the storyline? How is it, how's all this kind of come to this point? See, stories are meant to understand from beginning to end. There's, there's a reason the author wrote the way the author did. Sometimes I think we treat scripture that way. We jump into the middle of the narrative, the middle of the story, and don't quite understand how it all fits together. If we're really to understand God's plan and purpose for our lives, and really the redemptive process of what we're experiencing, we need to know the big story of Scripture. This next series in the Discipleship Project is going to look at just that. How did this story of redemption and salvation unfold from Genesis through Revelation? We're going to watch and see how these things all work together. And it's important so that we can know our purpose and plan that God has for our lives. So join us in this next series of the Discipleship Project as we look at the big story of Scripture. All right, so this week we're going to be looking at the necessity of yielding to God's divine plan. So we're going to look at some of what God's divine plan entailed, the start of it. Uh, they talked about jumping into the middle of a story. It's important for us to understand the beginning uh, and the end of the story and where we can begin to fit into God's divine plan. How many of you believe that God has a divine plan? Amen. And I want to be a part of that divine plan. And we start out by reading Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 3 through 10. And it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's, that's quite a powerful scripture there, that he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. That's, that's a mouthful right there if you think about it. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known 
to us, known, sorry, to us, the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. There's some key words in there that God chooses us, that he's predestined us to adoption. That means God is pushing every single person towards adoption. Uh, the, and and, there's, and it, then it says, according to the good pleasure of his will. So he's pushing us to be a part of his kingdom for a purpose. And then it speaks of our redemption and that he is pushing to gather us together, which we know is that great day as we head towards heaven. We find in the very beginning, in Genesis, we find the story of creation. The darkness was suffocating. It was everywhere overwhelming and incessant. The kind of darkness that would have disoriented and terrified us had we been around to witness the majesty of that darkness. And in the middle of that nothingness was Him, God. Our first glimpse into the grand story is that God existed. With no beginning and no once upon a time to unravel a mystery of origin, he simply was. Now our brains have trouble comprehending that fact, but God just was. And our first glimpse into this big story is an introduction to a creator who speaks and fashions grandeur out of nothing. At his declaration, let there be light, something dramatic happened. Just think, it would have been amazing to have been there to bear witness. Was it a spark? Was it an explosion? Or was it an ember that magnified from something small, from one tiny thing, to the expanse of the cosmos that we see today? Observing the universe meld to his command, he pushed the light and darkness apart then and named his handiwork. His plan is now in motion. He began each day with an astounding galactic production, water molecules split by the trillions in the millisecond that he spoke to water, and then water and sky begin to separate. He directs the oceans in their course, announcing where the waves must stop. Seas and rivers give way to black soil and ivory sands and brick clay. The largest of trees and the most microscopic of algae materialized. He established a path for the lightning commanded infinite stars to materialize and arrange their routes on his divine canvas. It would have been amazing to see. Come alive, he declared exuberantly on day five, in obedience and celebration. The salmon leapt from the waters, its crimson scales glistening in the dawn's rays. The toucan, which you see very often around Salem, stretched its ebony wings, thrust out its turquoise beak and glided to a perch overlooking the waters that were teeming with fish, and the air alive with birds of every kind, all a trophy to the Creator's unrivaled power and ingenuity. And then the sun he had made tipped the horizon on day six. He surveyed the splendor of perfection in the universe. Then he spoke again, earth bring forth life. As if an explosive had been detonated, the land begins to pulsate as elephants, trumpeting their praise to their maker, thundered past microbial organisms swarming the soil. Creatures of every kind paraded in glorious fashion, a seemingly incomparable feat as animals begin to appear. Yet the conductor surveyed the magnificence and chose that moment to unveil the crescendo of the first act. 
The heavens bore witness as he installed the pinnacle of his grand plan. Let us make man in our image, he announced. And then he did. Shakespeare said, all the world's a stage. I don't know if you've heard that before, but it was Shakespeare that said it. All the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances. And one man in his time plays many parts. His acts begin are being seven ages. So while we understand that we are not just actors on this earth, that we are not just being controlled by some master puppeteer, that we are, uh, the word hypocrite has to do with acting, that none, none of those is, are what we're talking about this morning. However, when Shakespeare penned these words, there was something that he steps back from the minutia, the details of life, and he sees that there is some bigger picture being played out. That it's more than just going to the store, it's more than just doing this and doing that. But he said it's like a play that everything has a part, everything is wove together. There's pieces that you don't quite understand now, but they're coming to a point of, in the story. Perhaps the psalmist captures it a little bit better when he says in Psalms 90 verse 9, We spend our years as a tale that is told. Paul also mentions that the, the, the people that he's writing to, that their lives are an epistle. So we have the idea that, of a story. We have an idea uh, of something that, that is being written in our lives. That even though it's difficult when we wake up in the morning to think, I'm writing another chapter of my life today, that's really what is happening. <laughs> you ever read a book that you just couldn't get into? <laughs> yeah? Sometimes our life's like that. If this was a book, I'd close it and find something else. You ever felt like that about life before? Another day. Consider your life as an individual story. You are born, you grow, and your life's journey takes increasingly complex and sometimes surprising turns as you mature, as you build relationships, as you give yourself to causes, to purposes, as you begin to serve things. And each of us writes our life story with every new day, in each decision. That's something to think about. Every time I make a decision, I'm changing the course of the story. But while billions of individual stories are being written, now think about that for a moment. There's what, seven billion people or so, give or take a few hundred million? <laughs> something like that. Right now, there are seven billion stories being written right now. People are making decisions right now. That's how many stories there are. Never mind just the group that's here. Seven billion. And then all the stories that have gone before. When I begin to think about the magnitude of that, it begins to make me feel pretty insignificant about my story. What does, how, how does my story stand out amongst seven billion? It's got to be quite a story for it to stand out in that large a number. However, while we think about the individual stories being written, we have to understand that there is still a larger story being acted out in which all the people, all the characters of time past and present act. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to write a story before and you've tried to uh, uh, create something for each character to do and by the end of it bring resolution. But imagine trying to have an overarching story for 7 billion people. Because we understand that this is, while we all have our individual lives, that God has a bigger picture that He's working towards. 
and he has fit 7 billion people, and then all those in the past, we are not just operating on our own, but he has something that he is working towards. Imagine all of the, I can't even begin to imagine how that works together. And it is to that story that we turn, that overall story, understanding that this big story has one main director and one main character in it, and that is God. The big story also has one rule you have to grasp to understand the story. God has always had a plan for relationship with His people. Now, this is important for us to understand. No matter where we are in our walk with God, this is the key component to the story that God is writing, is that He has always planned to have a relationship with you. He has planned to have a relationship with every single human being. In fact, the very act of creation reflects how humans are the central part of His plan, and that He has had that plan in place since before time even existed. He made it so that man would be the pinnacle of His creation before time ever was, and He would have a relationship with mankind. And to tell the big story of what God is doing, we have to start from the beginning. And our infinite God exists beyond the expanse of time. He lives outside of time and, it always been at, and has always been at work in ways our finite minds cannot comprehend. I can't comprehend how God can write, never, never mind the whole world, I can't imagine trying to write all of our stories and trying to figure out how to put them in one plan. Just think about all of us here and the different backgrounds and how we got to write here Sunday morning, January, whatever it is, I've already lost track of the date, at 9.50, how God got us all here. I mean, look around you. There's people from all over, and God brought us all here. I mean, we even got Jesse here at 9.50. I mean, come on. God really works in mysterious ways. But God brought us all here, and He was responsible for writing our story. As we made decisions, he, he is orchestrating all of this together. I can't really comprehend how that infinite God, my finite mind, cannot comprehend that. Moses declared God to be from everlasting to everlasting. Paul professed Him as the King eternal, immortal. And God Himself declares Himself timeless and everlasting, dwelling outside of time. And this self-existent God who simply was, He's not an immovable God though. That's the thing that we know and we understand. That even though He always was, that doesn't mean that He is immovable, distant and detached. No, He is very much a part of our lives and I'm glad that He looks down and cares about my life. He reigns in perfect and complete wisdom, which sometimes I question... I don't know if you do, but you ever wondered if God really was that smart because look at my life. But God is perfect in His wisdom. His overarching plan across time launched with the genesis of humanity, the very creation of man and His desire to bring humanity into eternal fellowship with Him. I think we need to understand that. Because I look at my life and I begin to see situations and I begin to wonder why. But God is a God of reconciliation and He is constantly trying to bring me back into fellowship with Him. So when I view it as that, it begins to change things a little bit. Paul understood this grand plan and he spoke of it as revelation in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 in the New Living Translation. It says, even before He made the world... God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. Even before He made the world, God loved us and chose us. That should add value to your life. 
If you feel worthless, you need to understand that God loved you before he made the world. He chose you before he made anything. And so as we explore this big story, we need to understand, have an appreciation for a big God who with infinite power and infinite mercy could set in motion a plan of hope for all humanity. And as I begin to think about that God and how he created and what he did and all that he holds in his hands and all the stories he holds in his hand and what he's orchestrating, I can only be like David that when he says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Who, who am I? Who am I that before you did all those astounding things and said, let there be light, that you chose me before you ever even created the world? And as much as he set and established the natural purpose, as much as we can count on the sun rising and the sun setting because God commanded it however many thousands or millions of years ago, and things still operate because of his word that he spoke That if there is a purpose for the sun, there's a purpose for you. If there's a purpose for the moon, there's a purpose for you. That those things are not greater than you, but he has something powerful in store for you. The only difference is the sun doesn't have a choice. (laughs) The sun can't have a bad hair day and decide to show up later. Now it could call the fog and ask for some help like he did this morning. (laughs) But see, the difference when I think about, well, how come I'm not? I have free will. And as I begin to look back, I can begin to see that my choices are some of the issue. Our God who made all of these majestic creations, but His crowning act of creation was that He made people with, and here's the first blank in your book, free will. Free will. And the choice to love Him. You have a choice to love God this morning. Even though God had angels to worship Him, and even though He had creatures of every kind to reflect His craftsmanship, His final feat of creation was to make you and I creatures with the choice to love Him. Now, God's creation of humanity is a wondrous thing, and there have been people that begin to try and relegate man to just another animal, to just another species as something that's not... Uh, has anything special about it, they have downplayed that. But the psalmist says in Psalms 139, he says, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. I have to understand that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. This ties in with the fact that he wouldn't fearfully and wonderfully make me if I did not have a purpose in his plan. While God does all things well, And he saw the results of his handiwork as good with each day of creation. He he wanted something more. (laughs) Now, knowing myself, never mind you, (laughs) if I was, well, I don't know how that would work if I was God and knew myself, because then I wouldn't be human. So anyway, that's just kind of commune with him. We know that, that we have a choice to commune with God or not. And choice is a powerful thing. I don't know uh, what your uh, uh, position was when it was time for picking teams in PE or when you were a kid for whatever you were going to play. But when you're doing that, someone has to be picked first and someone's got to be picked last. <laughs> and you want to you kind of, your goal is to be 
upper average, hopefully. But unfortunately, someone is always has to be picked last. And then the, the two team captains has to fight over who gets that last or who doesn't. Oh, you take them now. You can have them. Isn't that great when you're the person that the other team doesn't care if they're a man down because you're on the other team? That's all we care about. Or when you line up kids and say, all right, I'm going to number you off. Brother Kevin, he teaches PE at the school. I'm sure he knows this. You say, line up, we're going to split into two teams. And what did, what did the kids start doing? They start looking down the line and be like, one, two, three, okay, four. Okay, all right, you get down. They start lining it up so that it's not random. They, they want to do all that together. They want to arrange it all. So they're trying to coordinate their fate, if you would. So this idea of choice, and, 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 and in those situations of, of, of choosing teams, it's always best to be first. If you ever got picked first out of all the people that were there for whatever you're doing, and they called your name, man. Yep, I'm good, I don't even have to play now. Just so everyone knows that I'm the best, Right? And you don't want to be captain, you want to be picked first, because then everyone gets to see that, right? But that idea of being chosen first, but God did the opposite in creation. Humans were not the first thing, they were the last thing. God created it on day six, and he saved the best for last. In fact, it reminds me of uh, the first miracle that Jesus did. I wonder if there's not a connection to it. When he uh, is at a wedding feast and they run out of wine, and Jesus says, well... Jesus' mom says, take care of it, so he has to. <laughs> and what does the guy say when they serve him the wine, the, the head of the feast? He says, typically you serve the best wine first and then the bad wine at the end, but you have saved the best for last. That's exactly what he did with creation. He saved the best for last. God chose us to be the ultimate, the, the, the prized possession, and he still chooses us today. But it is up to us to choose to follow the Lord. That is free will. Joshua called the Israelites to choose whom they would serve in Joshua 24. He says, choose you this day whom you will serve. Jesus himself emphasized each of us must choose how to respond when he knocks at the door in Revelation chapter 3. That we have the option to answer or not answer the call when he knocks. That begins to change my attitude hopefully a little bit. When I begin to think about the fact that God chose me. When I realize this... When I realize that God chose me, He created me, I am a prized possession, then it leads me to ask, how do I respond to God's desire to have relationship? In His eyes, that even though I was made last, I am first, I was the prized thing, and that God has given me free will. How does this challenge me to respond to God's desire to have relationship with me? And so God made us in this opening act of creation. He didn't just make it. We have a role as his children with an inheritance. You and I have a role as his children with an inheritance. Just as Adam and Eve enjoyed the blessings of their father, you and I have privileges today. We are his children made by him, redeemed by his blood, bearing his name. Children are heirs with privileges. Galatians 4, 7, Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, 
And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. I am glad that I am no longer a slave and a servant to sin, but I have reclaimed a position that God kept open for me, that of sonship, that I can be a child of his, and that I am an heir of God because of Jesus Christ. As his children, we have complete and unfettered access to God because I am his child. Unlike the busy parent who is too preoccupied to respond to their child's request, God hears and responds to our cry. We can find multiple verses where we read that God hears our cry, that He hears our prayers, that He will respond to us. And not only is God willing to respond to our prayers, but He responds to our ultimate prayer, the plea for salvation. Ephesians 1, 5-7, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. As equally astounding as God's creative power is when we read the story of Genesis, just as equally astounding is the power and the work of God's grace in our lives. That it reaches past all kinds of things. I, we, we can't even begin to name the, the stuff in our own life, never mind everyone else's, that grace didn't overlook, but it reached past and said, I'm going to pull you through all of that. And God delights, this verse tells us, that He delights in forgiving our sins, that He is not distant looking down on us with judgment and saying, I can't believe or I can't touch that person. No, He delights in forgiving our sins. And so that's why I need to ask for forgiveness whenever I sin because God delights in forgiving my sins. He delights in making us one of His children. And we have the invitation to choose Him and ask for grace. And so when I think about that grace, I begin to think not only that I am created for a purpose, but how has grace begun to change my life? The fact that I don't deserve and yet I have, how does that change how I live my life? In addition to the blessings we have as God's children, God longs to include us in the big story with an active purpose. Active purpose. That means happening right now. That God is not done writing your story. You may feel like it's over, but God is not done writing your story. I remember, uh, I, I remember my grandma. She lived till, oh, she was she was old. No, she was uh, mid nineties, I think, ninety five, ninety six. I'm old, so I can't remember. And towards the end of her life, you know, it gets, it's kind of funny because, you know, you think, well, this other older person is coming to take her out for something, you know, to take her out for lunch or whatever, because they're in their early 70s. Well, that's like her friend's kids. (laughs) It's kind of weird when you get thinking about it. You're like, well, that's just two older people. No, that was her friend's kids taking her out. And they're, you know, she's, she's outlived most of her friends, uh, all this going on and, 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 going from something obviously being highly involved with the, the work of God and, and things like this to now she's in her 90s and, and what, what are you supposed to do? And she struggled with the fact of, I mean, really the question that a lot of us struggle with, why am I still here? Well, why am I here? And she, that was her prayer, is I'm still here. If I'm still here, 
there's a purpose. So let me just say that if you're still here, and not just mentally, (laughs) if you're still here, God still has an active purpose for you. Now, obviously, if you're, in, if you're 93, it may look different than an 18-year-old's purpose. But God still has an active purpose. And He created me for a purpose. And until I meet Him, there is a purpose in my life. And I want to find that which I was apprehended for. God immediately involved Adam and Eve in His grand design. As soon as He created them, He gave them responsibility and authority to fulfill His purpose and plan. Let me just say that as well. When God gives you a purpose... He gives you the authority and the power to perform that purpose. Now, that doesn't mean that once God's called you, you have authority over everything and everyone. But He has given you authority to accomplish what He's called you to do. Well, there's no way, and I don't know. That's fine. God gave you the power, and He gave you the authority. And sometimes we just need to start walking in what God has called us to do. Well, anyway, I know that's easier said than done. But today, God still gives to those who yield to His plan and His purpose. The necessity of yielding to God's divine plan. I cannot accomplish what I need to in my life unless I yield to God's divine plan. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says, For we are His workmanship. You are. Workmanship gives the idea that you were crafted and formed for a reason and for a purpose. How many ever put a bar of soap in the microwave? I mean, as you do? All right, me and Brother Phil, okay. That, that's, that's about what I figured. I used to have to do chapel for the ACA, so I've done all kinds of really strange things. But if you put a bar of soap in the microwave and crank it on, well, just be prepared for your microwave to smell like soap when you're done for a while. But all of a sudden, it, 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 nothing will happen, and all of a sudden, it's kind of like a marshmallow. You know, it starts expanding. Out of the middle of the soap, like this thing will begin to form and just begin to just go all over the place. It's kind of cool for about 10 seconds, and then it's all done. Then you have to get another bar of soap. Get a six-pack of soap. But it's just this random shape. It's just this random form that there's no reason why it starts expanding and goes this way and then goes up that way. And some of us really, if we're honest with ourselves, we think our life is like that. There's no real purpose, no real form. That there's a lot of accidental things in our life. While we don't say it, and while we know Scripture doesn't back it up so we don't say it, that's how we, that's how we live our life. Because our works are the fruit of what we believe. I'm not going to act outside of what I believe. I'm not going to act differently. If I don't believe there's a God, I can't live like there is a God. It'll come out. Okay? But if if I'm his workmanship, crafted, I'm not like that soap. I'm not just growing out. No, I am crafted for a reason and a purpose. The reason I have the abilities I have is for a reason. The reason I am where I am is for a purpose. The reason I can do and not do certain things is for a reason and a purpose because God created me. And Ephesians 2 says, I was created in Christ Jesus unto good works, that he formed me for a reason. He crafted me for good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. He's already ordained it. He's already said, I approve of it. Why? Because he created it. So if God's given you purpose, he's already approved, and I need to start walking. Even our very life is a testimony to God's transformative power. In addition, God places us into the body of Christ with each of us carrying out a function. Now we know that we're put here for a reason. 
that we need each other whether we think we do or not. He's to carry out a function, and here's why, to see the body is unified and doing his work. If what God has called me to do, it should somehow bring unity to the body of Christ. Okay? So first off, if you think, well, God's called me to do this and it's going to bring disunity, you might need to rethink that. But God has called us to bring unity to one another and to do his work. And so that begins to help me as I begin to see what God has called me to do, as I, be, I can begin to have filters put on it. Is this going to unify us together? Is this going to accomplish the work that God has called us as a body of believers to do? To what purpose do you feel that God has called you? That's an easy question to answer, right? You can just, fill that, you can just do that like a fill in the blank, right? Just write it on down there. Okay? So there's two parts to this. To what purpose do you feel God has called you? How do I figure out my purpose? What was the first thing that God established? Relationship. I don't care what book you read, what class you take, what conference you go to, who you listen to on YouTube. If you don't have a relationship, you're not going to find your purpose. You'll find things you're good at and then figure out how can I use them. for. You're not going to find your purpose outside of relationship with God. So that's the first thing. And then second thing is once I realize or begin to catch an inkling of maybe this is what my purpose is, what God created me for, how can I develop my gifts to be more effective in that purpose? What can I do? I would love for when God calls me, um, that, that statement, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called, has a few things that I don't like about it. And one of them is the idea that I think that when God calls me, then he'll just qualify me. He'll just give me everything I need. Well, he's given me the ability to figure some things out and to learn and to research and to study and to do some things. I might have to put some effort into it. I might have to do something with it. God told Adam to take care of the garden. And he had to develop gardening techniques. God didn't give him any implements. We don't see where God said, okay, let there be a shovel. (laughs) Of course, there wasn't weeds until, well, anyway. You get what I'm saying? He had to figure some things out about how he could take care of the garden. So once I begin to see, well, maybe this is what God's called me to do, because make no mistake, I have to settle, first of all, that he has called me. But then in relationship with him, I, I, I begin to understand that. How do I develop my gifts? God has a call and purpose for everybody. And I finish up with a story here. You know what's good about this uh, discipleship project thing is it has stories in it. And I'm awful at stories. I'm awful at them. We'll start out in the delivery room. The delivery room was filled with the usual sights. A medical team in scrubs, gleaming surgical instruments, and two nervous parents. Here's one reason why the guy was nervous. His name was Boris, so that made him nervous to begin with. (laughs) He was worried he was going to give his own kid a name like that. He would just come out. Boris Jr., the third. But Boris stood by his wife. That's just a, it's, you know, you start saying a word multiple times and it sounds weirder and weirder. Than, anyway, the man stood by his wife, trying to encourage her despite the premonitions she had expressed about her pregnancy. It'll be fine. He had no doubt coached numerous times. But in the moment of truth, Boris's faith failed him. At his first glimpse at his infant son, 
The absence of arms triggered a gut-wrenching panic. He wilted and nurses rushed him out to keep him from fainting. Medical experts grappled to understand the baby's condition. It wasn't genetic and it didn't fit a specific syndrome, but baby Nick simply had no limbs, arms or legs. Nick's overwhelmed mother struggled for months to come to terms with reality. And so Nick entered the world with more than his share of challenges, to say the least. In addition to the obvious logistical limitations of not having arms or legs, he was bullied in school. As a child, young Nick fought against bitterness, loneliness, depression, struggling with questions about why he was different. Why was he born this way? At 10 years old, he became suicidal. Nick reflects on that time, I felt I had no value and I thought I would always be a burden to my parents and never get married. That was until I saw a boy with no arms and legs like me and I knew I could help him. In that moment, Nick realized he was part of a bigger plan. Yes, his story was being written, but there was a bigger story being written too and that God was the author of his story. As realization dawned that his life fit into a bigger story beyond the immediate challenges surrounding him. That's tough right there. To see there's something going on beyond the immediate surrounding you. Nick surrendered to who God had made him to be. His life turned around. Nick became increasingly independent as a teenager. Remember, no arms or legs. Learning to care for himself. Learning to swim. Learning to surf. Take on any number of personal adventures. But remembering he was part of a purpose, Nick also began to give back to others. At 19, Nick began his career as a motivational speaker. Within five years, Nick had traveled to over 58 countries to share how faith in God's plan can bring hope. Perhaps you're facing a dire reality like Nick, or maybe you're frustrated by less drastic circumstances that, while less drastic, nevertheless cause you to question where God is and what He's doing with your life. Nobody's there, right? No matter your situation, if you can yield to God's plan, He can and will bring purpose out of your life. He is our creator. And even when we don't understand why He engineers the plan the way that He does, if we can trust Him and follow Him, He will bring beauty from our lives that contributes to the glorious master story that He is authoring. You're part of something bigger. You have a part to play. You need to trust God. As we stand this morning. I thought it was interesting because I've been teaching and preaching about purpose and doing things for God. And then I'll open up this book that we decided to do this year. And the first lesson is about you have a purpose and a plan. You do. God has put you here for a reason. You are here for a purpose. First of all, I need relationship with him. And then I am part of something that God wants to do in his kingdom. I want us to pray that we would find what God has apprehended us for. That we would be a part of what he has called us to the kingdom to do. Let's pray this morning. Lord Jesus, I'm thankful that I...